Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Banker Next Door. I am your host, Dr. Joe Berquist. Uh, today, I wanted to talk a little bit about the Fed and kind of what's going on there with them. Are they looking to increase interest rates? If so, how much? Is this dramatically a little bit? Uh, and then what kind of impact is that ultimately going to have on the market itself. So we're going to we're take a look at a couple articles here, a couple things I think that everyone will find real interesting. And I am going to preface this by saying is I'm almost using this. I saw this one article here that it, the first article I'm going to hit on, which was which was absolutely fantastic. And um, it, this is going to be a little bit of a precursor. So I'm going to do a book review next week uh, called The Lords of Easy Money by uh, Christopher Leonard. Everybody can see that. So um, Christopher Leonard, this, I, I, I'm not exaggerating when I say I read a lot of books and I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is probably the most important book that I've read in the last 10 years. Uh, I mean, it's just, I mean, it's incredibly well written, but, uh, you know, after you read it, uh, you're not going to look at the federal reserve the same way again. And you're, you're probably going to come away pretty upset is what I, what I would say, uh, at the, at the conclusion of the, of the book. So, but, um, but like I said, let's, let's get into some of these articles here that I wanted to share with everybody. And you'll, you'll, a lot of this stuff will become evident when I see it. So this article this week was uh, pro take dissenting votes at the fed are almost non-existent. Uh, and, and this is the Lord's easy money. It basically starts off with the discussion of dissenting votes at the Fed and how you basically had, you know, one person who was the main dissenting vote in a lot of the a lot of the discussions that were going on. And at the end, you're really left with, well, you know, OK, was this person right or were they not right? But you were left with the overall feeling that you needed that dissenting vote. You do, you have to have dissenting votes because that is where the collaboration comes in. That's where the discussion comes in. That's where the thought process comes in. What bothers me about this, and I'm going to, I'm going to go down here. Uh, so to say nay votes at the federal reserve's interest rate setting committee meetings have been in steady decline with dissents during Jerome Powell's nearly six years at the head of the central bank at just 2.6% of total votes the lowest since at least the Paul Volcker, Volcker era in the mid-1970s and 1980s. Since the pandemic in March of 2020, dissents under Powell have been even more rare, 1.4%. Over this time, the Federal Open Markets Committee uh, has dealt with a collapsing economy and labor market and spiking inflation while managing a Fed balance sheet swollen by asset purchases during the pandemic. And then they have a chart here. So this chart basically says declining dissent. Federal Open Markets Committee, the FOMC, votes under Fed chair, the votes under Fed chairs since August of 1979. And you can see here, Paul Volcker had a total votes of 861 with his dissenting votes of 92. Alan Greenspan had 1,693 votes versus uh, dissenting votes of just 82. Uh, ben Bernanke had a total of 687, had dissenting votes of 48. Janet Yellen, 311, had only 22. And then we see Jeremy Powell, 506. And and my gosh, it's like none, it's like, you can't even glit it, 13 votes. But 
And, and the one thing I will point out is that Alan Greenspan was head of the Federal Reserve for 17 years. It's a long time. It might have been in the in the hundred and what hundred and ten year, hundred and twelve year history of the Fed. Uh, I don't that he he might have been the longest serving Fed chief. I'd have to take a look at that. But uh, but he was he was Alan was there for a long time. Um, thus, his blue bar is much, you know bigger than the other the other people on here so and janet yellen was was only fed chair for a a short period of short you know term uh maybe four years something like that um bed bernanke was there i think for eight paul volker was probably there for 12 i'm guessing something like that um but uh but anyway the but the the, I think the issue here is the fact that you know you're not having any dissent, and what I worry about is that the Fed is basically becoming an echo chamber, where there's just no there's no dissenting voices, and and there's just nothing going, and and that's a real problem because I think at the Federal Reserve, like I, I don't want to see no dissent. I want to I I don't I mean I want to see an overabundance. Like I don't want to see like. 60, 70% of the people dissenting all the time, but you want, I mean, I would like to see, you know, 20%, 30% dissent. Um, just because that tells me that, that they're, they're having conversations about what's going on. They're arguing about, or not arguing, but they're, they're just, there's debate. There's a lot of debate about what's going on and some people agree and some people don't agree. And, I, I just think it's I think it's kind of ridiculous when you get to these points. A lot of times, you know, the Fed, you know, the Fed chairs demand, you know, unanimous votes on a lot of these things to present the, the you know, to the public that we are totally unified and and nobody thinks differently. Because if you because the, the problem is from a political standpoint, you know, you come out, you make a decision and, you know, 10 people vote on it and three people didn't like it and didn't want to go along. Well, the first the first people the Fed, the the first people the press want to go to is those three people who dissented. You know, oh, why why did you dissent? Why didn't you like this? You know, do you you know do you have a problem with the Fed chief? And so it just it, you know, it can open up uh, effectively like a whole can of worms that that you know do you do you really want to go um, down that down that road? And 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 again, you'd like it to be cleaner. I think from the Fed chief's perspective, it's like you'd like it to be cleaner. You, you know, you're not getting a lot of dissenting votes and whatnot. But um, I just see this as a as a problem. I, I see this as a big problem with the, with the, you know, uh, cause again, right here, it says in the article, people should feel freer to dissent said Bullard. One of the, um, you know, James Bullard, who's a former president of St. Louis fed. He's now Dean of Purdue university business school. Uh, Powell is congenial and his career is about building relationships. And that could be a factor in the lower dissent rate, but, uh, maybe politically the best thing for the institution is for them to look united what I just said, I think, uh, that is the, that is the thing that causes them to not want dissent. Um, you know, so, you know, but it, it, it's, it's a big, it's a big issue. And when I, when I get into the Lords of easy money and I review that and I talk about that, you're going to come away with a much better understanding as to why that's a, that's a bigger thing. So I wanted to point that out. Um, I also wanted to point out, so here's another article from the feds, Tom Barkin who says a soft landing is in no way inevitable. Uh, he's the Richmond Fed president. He also now says uh, now is no time to change the central bank's inflation target to 3%, which I totally agree with. Uh, so uh, this goes basically on the, the Latin effects of Federal Reserve rate hikes and companies boosting prices as inflation broadly cools could threaten a soft landing for the economy in 2024. 
After decades without pricing power, businesses, especially those facing margin pressure, won't want to back down from rising prices until their customers or competitors uh, force their hands. Uh, Barkin told an audience, if that happens, I fear more will have to happen on the demand side, whether organically or through Fed action to convince price setters that the inflation era is over. Uh, Barkin added a soft landing is increasingly conceivable, but in no way inevitable. Uh, the Fed has raised rates 11 times since March of 2022 to try to bring down inflation to the 2% uh, target. Significant progress has been made with the latest consumer price index, but we just saw a spike in inflation two days ago. Uh, many economists believe the economy is downshifting and inflation cooling to the Fed's 2% target without a recession that uh, throws many people out of work and elusive soft landing. But some believe that the swarm of uh, rate hikes may continue to tighten the economy into 2024 because of a lag effect on businesses and consumers leading to higher unemployment and economic stress. Uh, it's easy to imagine that that impact of all this tightening will eventually hit the economy harder uh, than it has to date. As an example, I saw data suggesting that corporate interest payments as a percentage of revenue and household interest payments as a percentage of disposable personal income have both now only gotten back to 2019 levels. Uh, Barkin also spoke, spoke of an idea floating around that the Fed could change its inflation target to 3%. You may wonder whether a different destination, say 3% inflation, would be acceptable? The answer is no. Credibility is the Fed's key asset. Changing the target before reaching it risks that credibility. Um, if you go back to the episode that I just did on inflation, uh, one of the things I forgot to mention that I thought of when I was looking at this. So one of the things that you risk when you're fighting inflation is permanently locking that inflation into the economy. And what do I mean by that? Um, so inflation was running at 9.1%. You saw a lot of prices go up 10, 20, 30% in some cases on, on a number of items. Well, if you come back down, say, say that the inflation comes, so, okay, so inflation comes back down 3%. Well, it, it it didn't, the prices did not come back down. The prices on these items did not decrease. That just meant that the increases, the acceleration of the price increases was, has cooled off, has stemmed off. But now if the Fed does not, basically if they, if they don't drive us into a recession and get companies to then to start reducing their prices back, and they, they kind of take their foot off the gas here, so to speak, and then they start cutting rates and they say, oh, our inflation target is 3%. And now inflation continues to run at a 3 to 4% clip. Guess what? You have now permanently locked that inflation. You've permanently locked those price increases into the economy. Um, and that is, a, that is a major danger, uh, major danger that we, uh, that we face here. Sound like like Will Robinson, danger Will Robinson. <laughs> but um, you know we have we have um, you know again it's just it, it's a major thing that uh, you know again a lot of um, a lot of the Fed people don't like to talk about it because uh, it's something that a, lo a lot of people again don't really get. Uh, but it's it's a it's a it's a big problem that we have to worry about. And and I think he you know said it right. Is it basically like you know we don't we don't you know we don't want to increase that target down. To, or increase the move that target up to 3% rather, uh, and then basically risk locking in that inflation that's already, already transpired. Um, all right. So let's go to a couple other articles here real quick. So ongoing rally for stocks, 
and bonds hinges on Fed's 2024 plans. You better believe that. The ongoing rally in U.S. stocks and government bonds could stretch well into 2024 as the Federal Reserve moves to ease monetary policy and resilient and, and a resilient economy continues to fend off recession. Um, so in other words, the rallies that we've seen the last month and a half, two months in the bond and the stock markets, if they are going to continue, you're going to need the Fed to basically cut rates. And furthermore, if the if the if the debt, um, you know, if the if the bond sales, if the Treasury debt sales of our, our you know, trying to sell our national debt, if they if they are not being bought by China and Japan, basically the Fed and the Treasury are going to have to step in and and purchase these securities. They're going to have to purchase the bonds. They're going to have to purchase the Treasury notes. Um, they're going to have to do that if they're going to if they're going to maintain or keep the yield curve inverted. Keep the keep the spreads on the the treasuries where they're at right now. Um, that means basically turning the printing press back on and getting it. So so the Fed they could keep this rolling. They could juice the economy if they choose to. All they got to do is start you know buying the debt that's not being bought and cut the rates. Uh, and they they could definitely juice the economy this year. That will again going back to that inflation episode. If you watch that, uh, you know they could be setting us up for a an absolute. I mean, they've already put us in a horrible spot, but they, they could basically finish the job here. I think that if they get too aggressive and try to juice the economy just to keep it rolling this year, uh, I, I think it, it could just be catastrophic in 25, 26. It could, yeah, could be horrible. Um, another article here, uh, Fed rate cuts, uh, Fed rate cut hopes drive U.S. bank stocks to 2023's highest median monthly return. Uh, this was an article from January 3rd, basically just saying, you know, U.S. bank stocks soared in December as the Federal Reserve decided to hold rates at current levels and offered hopes of rate drops in 2024. Uh, so, again, you know, best performing stocks in here, uh, worst performing stocks. So but again, you know that, you know. You see, again, the effect on bank stocks, as long as, you know, if the Fed's going to the Fed's going to drop rates, you know, bank stocks came back. Um. And then finally, we have here the um, the expected Fed rate cuts, unlikely to reduce uh, net interest mar net interest margin pressure in 2024. So net interest margin, uh, that's the interest margin uh, between you know interest expense and non interest expense. You get the net interest margin. So U.S. banks are unlikely to see uh, relief from compression or compressed net interest margins before the end of 2024, even if the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates. So net interest margins are a key bank profitability measure that weighs a company's net interest income from credit products against the ongoing interest it pays depositors. Uh, the net interest margin of U.S. banks compressed over the last year as the Federal Reserve increased interest rates and competition for deposits intensified. If the Fed follows through on plans to cut rates in 2024, net interest margins are likely to improve and may even sink before 2025 due to high funding costs, uh, which tend to lag rate moves. So the lag in deposit costs coming up really started to hit hard in the second half of 2023. Uh, nice yields on loans really popped up and that will continue to improve asset yields. But I still think there's a little bit more um, uh, of the deposit costs coming up right now. So in other words, you have your lend, you have your loan rates and you have your deposit rates, which are your, your funding costs. OK, in between those rates is your is your spread. Uh, that's you know, that's your spread that you have in there. Like, And so as that spread compresses, 
your net interest margin is going to compress and that's going to that's going to compress the profitability of banks you know how much how much profit margin effectively can they make um so you've got you know deposit rates going up and the problem is that the loans do not in in this instance are not repricing as quickly as the deposit rates are going up which is compressing the net interest margin and what it, they're saying here is that hopefully that will begin to level off because as the fed has held the rates um has held the red rate steady for the time being that means that the the increase in deposit rates will eventually level off but yet banks will the banks have the higher rates they can continue to charge their customers as loans begin to reprice and they put new loans on the books and so on and old loans pay off and so on and so forth so therefore the the margin will then will then expand the, the spread will expand the net interest margin will expand and banks will therefore be able to to you know generate a better a better profit so um and then it says here, analysts predict, so analysts expect net interest margin compression for 16 of the 20 largest U.S. banks in 2024, with a median decline for the group of 14 basis points. Um, the group medium of consensus estimates were 3.07% for 2023, 2.93 for 24, and 2.98 for 2025 as of December 2018. So, um, and they just got kind of hedging at lower rates. So, why did I point this out to everybody? Why did I show these these last three articles here? Well, I showed it just because of the the ramifications of what the Fed is saying right now with the rate cuts. You know, the the market exuberance. If if uh, if the stock market is going to keep up, if the bond market is going to keep going up, then the Fed's going to have to reduce the rates. Um, you know, what it's going to play a major role in the profitability of banks. What's going to happen with their net interest margins? Um, and then, but ultimately looking back at the Fed, you know, what's, you know, what's going on in there? I mean, there's, is there, is there any dissenting of you? Are there any opposing opinions going on at the Fed there? Um, inquiring minds would like to know. Um, so, so like I said, I hope, I hope everybody, uh, found this to be a little interesting and just kind of examining this and thinking about what this year could bring in terms of the moves that the Fed could make, um, you know, my hope would be that the Fed does not take their foot off the pedal, that they do not um, decrease the interest rates until they know that inflation has really been put under control here. And and like I said, we just saw the inflation rate uh, spike up unexpectedly. And as again, again, going back to that inflation episode, I say that inflation does not go up or down in a straight line. It, it, it goes and fits and starts and it spikes and it comes back down and then it spikes again. And so I, again, I hope people will pay attention to that and just keep these things in mind as they're, as they're looking at it and considering it. And like I said, I hope the, I hope the fed is very cautious this year and really make sure that the inflation is, is, is tame and is really brought back down to that 2% goal. And if that means increasing, yeah, that means they have to increase the rates a little bit more than, than so be it. You know, if they got to do another quarter or 50 basis points, then I think they should do it. Um, I would rat, like I said, I'd rather see that than have them cut the rates, kind of juice the economy for this year, and then have the whole thing fall apart in 25 because we have a massive inflation spike thereafter. Uh, so again, that's just my thoughts. I hope you guys like this video. Please make sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment below. I'd be happy to get back to you and uh, keep an eye out for some of my other episodes that I'll be posting up this uh, holiday weekend. But uh, thanks a lot. And I will see everybody again real soon.